Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. School trustees across the state and across the nation are under a microscope. Between the response to the pandemic to the national backlash over critical race theory and social-emotional learning, This week, trustees from all over Idaho met in Boise for the Idaho School Boards Association's annual convention. So with trustees in town, I wanted to do something a little bit different with the podcast this week. I wanted to sit down with a couple of trustees and just get a sense of what it's like to be a trustee in the year 2021 and what keeps them going. I'm joined this week by Jason Knopp from the Melba School District, Maricela Piscina from the Caldwell School District, and Karen Pyron from the Duke County School District for a roundtable discussion. Here's what they had to say. Well, thank you all for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. What I really wanted to do with the three of you is get a sense of kind of this moment in time for trustees with everything that you've been facing, the pandemic, the national backlash over issues like critical race theory. I mean, what's the state of (laughs) being on a school board right now? Kevin, I guess I'm happy yeah. happy to start, and um, I represent, I'm a part of uh, Butte County School District, sure. so I represent a r- very rural school district, um, and, you know, quite frankly, for us, it's been business as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, we've maybe been much more fortunate than uh, some other areas that, you know, have had to battle uh, some of the other issues going on, um, but we were in-person learning uh, all of last year, and return, we returned this year in in-person learning. And you know, it seems like we're we're just not really um, we're aware of what's going on, and you know, and concerned about different things. But our business is kids, and we just stay on that track and um, take care of our kids and take care of district business and. Uh, We have a great um, parent support group. We work together. There's always been full transparency. Um, So even last year when uh, things maybe got started to get a little bit edgy at the beginning of the year, our parents came together. We were all together as one. to keep our schools open and to move things forward. And uh, we've just been, you know, really fortunate in that regard. So, Jason? Uh, So in Melba, same for us. We've been in-person learning last year and all this year. We haven't missed any days. Um, We're we're rural because we're just right right there in the southern end of the Treasure Valley, but close to all of, of the hustle and bustle of of the metropolitan area of, you know, Boise Meridian, Nampa Caldwell. I think the one thing I look at in the climate where we're in right now and, you know, looking at COVID, if you want to look at it specifically, and um, is maintaining our local control. And so I, I think about, you know, this local control and, and the autonomy that we have to run each one of our districts. You know, like Karen talked about, they were able to work with their parents group to do what was best for their district. We did the same thing in our district and we figured out and, and put things in place that worked well for procedures and, and, you know, cleaning and and how we run our lunch schedule and how we're running our busing to make it work for Melba so we could be in person. And that local control is what makes public education so great in our state because Melba, the five of us that that are accountable to the people that live in Melba School District on our board operate our district to the best of our ability to make those people happy. Caldwell, much different situation for them, and it gives them the ability to do what's best for them. It gives Karen the ability in Butte County. And maintaining that local control, I think, is the number one thing we need to work on right now, and we need to keep 
moving forward because that's what makes it's so great for us in this state is that we get to do that and and being a representative in the leadership of ISBA and traveling around, you know, going to Pacific Region meeting and hearing how some other states, like all their board gets to choose is curriculum. They don't set anything else because that's set either by the legislature, set at a bigger level. And, and we get to do all that. And we get to do what's best for our kids in our district. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Maricela, it's a you're, you represent a larger school district. Uh, what's been the experience in Caldwell? I do. Um, the experience in Caldwell was... You know, we, our school district is primarily 65% Hispanic. And, you know, there were so many unknowns, even to this day, there's a lot of unknowns about COVID. And we were faced with the, uh, the fear of what is unknown, you know? And so we are not medical professionals. We, we're school board trustees, you know, we're moms and dads, teachers, carpenters and so we had to figure out we had to do our homework about our community so we reached out to medical professionals to ask them what is it that we have to do um, our, our um, health clinics who is it that's dying from COVID who's getting sick and how can we prevent it and it was alarming and we made sure, I'm gonna tell you the, the first summer, the spring and summer when COVID hit, I went to a lot of funerals, a lot of our families, some of my friends, you know, the elderly people, they were, they were dying from COVID. And so we had to make sure that our kids were safe. A lot of, a lot of our teachers were really fe fearful because, you know, they, they felt that there was, that it was rampant, that this virus was really rampant. So we had to seek medical professional help and to help us with our, the decisions that were gonna affect our community. And so we lost a lot of sleep. We were scared for our kids. I was scared for our, my, our staff, our district office. You know, what? what is the right thing to do? Are we gonna regret some of the decisions that we made? Um, we just didn't want to lose anybody and we were fearful. So we did the best that we could with the information that we had. And, um, and in the beginning, it was, we, we put the information out. We did a lot of live, live Facebook feeds in English and Spanish of how we were gonna do this, our remote learning. We, our district has a lot of, uh, is impacted by a lot of um, low social economic, people that, you know, that, that how are the kids going to get care? How are they going to be fed? And we had an amazing district office, amazing leadership that was able to provide, you know, at the get-go food for our kids that were staying home, um, connectivity at places that had never had Wi-Fi before. And so we tried to the best of our ability to get those problems solved because we knew it was important and because primarily it was about the kids. And in the very beginning, I was, I felt like, why is it the legislators making up a decision for everybody and saying this is a state mandate, but 
I get it now because our rural communities weren't being affected like we were. They were not. And so, you know, I and so I'm just a little bit jealous <laughs> of the smaller towns because, you know, how I wish we could have had our kids stay in school because it did affect our kids, the learning, the loss of learning. And so it did affect our kids. But I really fully believe that what we did was the best choice that we had we had to make in our community. And I've got to think that the flip side to the local control, whether you're in Caldwell or, or, or Nelva or, or Arco, you're known in your community. So even if what you don't have at a school board meeting is the kind of thing that we see on cable, uh, you know, the, the demonstrations, the, right. the you know, protests, mm-hmm. you're known in your communities. You have people probably walk up to you at the grocery store or, or a church mm-hmm. and say, I have a concern. I have a problem. Those have to be some tough conversations. Oh, I would say Karen probably knows like I do. And when, when you're in a small community, it's it's not the you bump into them at the store. It's the, they they're your friend, your neighbor. You right. get a phone call. Right. Uh, they show up Saturday afternoon while you're out back barbecuing. Hey, what's going on? I want to <laughs> chat. And you, okay. Um, yeah. It's for for rural district. It's it's very personal um, because those communities tend to be so tight knit and you know everybody so well. Um, and like when we went back into session last year, we had a lot of parents show up. We had a big open forum so they could voice their concerns. And so we could figure out what was the best for our community, uh, like they did for Caldwell. So it's like I said earlier, I think that's why local control is so it's huge. Such a good you know, your people, you know, and your people mm-hmm. know you. And, and that's kind you're, of yeah. what you're saying, Kevin. And, uh, you know, and I think that's a piece that helps us really work together well, um, you know, kind of taking off on what Jason was saying, you know, we did have a point in the fall when everything spiked a year ago this past, this current fall, um, and we did go hybrid for a couple of weeks. But the parents and the teachers both came to a board meeting and said, this is not working. You know, so we abandoned it. We And that's, you know, when we went full in-person learning with a variety of mitigation issues and or mitigation steps, excuse me. And, you know, and it's been good. Um, I think, you know, there's just a lot of ownership when you're, you're in that small community and you're taking care of each other. You know, we're fortunate that we have our own little hospital and medical center there. So even though we, we knew the advice of Southeastern Idaho um, Health District, we relied on our own medical facility. And, and it's because we know each other. Well, and, so, and Southwest District Health for us, like in Canyon County, was awesome because we could, get, we could get COVID numbers for our school district. They weren't just tracking the county, but Southwest District Health went to the next step and, and we could get numbers for our district. And so we could track those numbers uh, of COVID cases within our school district and see what the trends were. And it allowed us to have not real-time data, but pretty close to that to make those moves for us, which was good. And I'm sure that helped you guys with Caldwell because yes. yeah, when you, when you can know what's, this is my district, you don't have to look at everything around it and try to figure out, well, what's, what's really valid for us and what isn't because this is all of Ada County or all of Elmore County. Exactly. It's like, no, this is Melba school district. This yeah. is us. These are our numbers. Exactly. We're okay. We can keep doing what we're doing. And we went a step further. We did uh, a lot of contract tracing which takes up a lot of man hours. Mm -hmm. And we started our school this last fall uh, for the 2020-2021 school year. And we said, okay, let's just do a recommended mask. And within five days, 
we had to go to the mask mandate because we were closing down schools. Teachers were getting sick. We had no teacher and we have no sub pool. Mm-hmm. Um, our sub pool has consisted, our sub pool shares is shared between three school districts, Valley View, Nampa, and Caldwell. And a lot of those folks that were in the sub pool were the retired teachers. <clears throat> and so they were stepping back because they were concerned about their comorbidities. And so they, our sub pool was really low. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have any teachers to teach. We are, we didn't have anyone to our, our school lunches to feed our kids school lunches. And, and we had a lot of kids that were sick, a lot of kids that were out. And so we, we ended up putting the mask mandate back on and closing up some of the schools for a few days until we could get the kids quarantined. And it was, it was a big deal. And we were hope we were just, we were like, okay, we're going to do this. Kids are going to be in school because we knew that's where kids need to be. They need to be in school. And so, and it was, it was tough, but you know, we did have those numbers to look at and we had our contact tracing, but like I said, it takes manpower too, and that's money. And, and sometimes, right. and I know contact tracing has been a challenge. Some districts have kind of gotten away from it because, yes, because, because it's, it's labor intensive. Mm-hmm. So it's probably hard to decouple anything from the pandemic right now, but what is the biggest issue facing your three districts that maybe is not COVID related, but is maybe more student related or staff related? I want, may I? Okay. Yeah. I think one of the issues that we have, and I know that there's been a lot, a lot of, many of our kids have issues, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they may be. And and, and I know that you said it's not COVID related, but I think because of COVID, it right. has made these issues flourish and really grow. And, you know, just the way that kids are able or families are able to address them. Or just student mental health issues. Yes, student uh, mental health uh, issues uh, or suicide rates are high or uh-huh. you know, neighboring, um, neighboring high school suicide rates are high. And so we are, you know... Um, we come from the, some of the students in our school district. You know, they have parents that have to work or um, that may necessarily not be there for their kids at home. And so some of these kids have had to deal with a lot of issues, um, as in babysitting their smaller siblings or even having going to go work to help the family out economically. So there's a lot of things that are going on, and I, I feel that we're now starting to deal with some of the problems. And, and it's also, the kids have gotten away from the rigor of learning, of going to school eight to three. And, and they, they've been off for a year and a half or you know a year. And it's hard to get them back on track where you're, we're losing them like, hey, come back to me. Or you know, one of our trustees is a teacher and that's that's he sees you know he says you know I feel like we're getting zombies back and and we have to get our kids back to get them right. into learning and to be able to absorb Just re-engage them in, in the process of being in the classroom yes. and I think that's one of the biggest problems that we're having right now and I'm hoping that we can you know we, we've got some some programs in place that I think are are good programs. <laughs> 
I guess I have a few thoughts with that. One is uh, COVID's caused it, but we've had more parental involvement with our students than we've had in a long time. And as we transition out of COVID and back into somewhat of a normal life, how do we keep these parents engaged, but not engaged in whether or not they think their kids should be wearing a mask in school, but engaged in the student achievement and in their students Mm -hmm. achieving? Because if we could keep our parents as engaged as they are in should or shouldn't we have some sort of a mass mandate and we could in turn that engagement into student achievement and how having them help drive that, I think we could see a big uptick in our student achievement across the state. Right. Parental involvement is huge. Um, just move the discussion to the learning exactly. challenges post-pandemic that yeah, exactly. we know that we all exactly. Yeah, yeah. If we can with. keep the, the level of a parental yes. engagement that we have but change the narrative from talking about what's going on with the pandemic to driving our student achievement within our local exactly. districts, I think it would be really good that that buy-in from the community and those parents is helpful. Uh, another thing I look at is um, funding, like uh, just funding I mean, 90 some, and I don't know the exact number of our districts across the state all run supplemental levies. There's right. very few districts that don't, and they're running those supplemental levies because we're competing with Nevada, Wyoming, Montana, Washington, Oregon, mm-hmm. in what teacher wages are, what superintendent wages are. We're underfunded for what I call our super classified, our business managers, our IT. Um, you know, the tech is so much into our schools now that you need an IT director, but these same people that we need, that the skill level we need from them as an IT director, they can go get a six figure plus job in the private industry right. and, and trying to fund that position and bring in those highly qualified people is hard. So I think we really need to take a look at how are we funding these. Our business managers are very important to our districts and how are we making sure this is the same principle of them. They could go get that same type of a job in the private industry and make double what they're making. Um, and so I look at that and, and how do we how do we figure out our funding? Because in Melba, my community doesn't support a supplemental levy, so we're paying off the career ladder. And it's hard to keep teachers because they can go to a Nampa, West Ada, Boise, and make you know eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars a year more. And so right. it makes it a little mm-hmm. bit harder for us. And so just looking at the overall funding, maybe trying to figure out how we get away from having to run supplemental levies in in all of our districts. And that if we are running a supplemental levy, it's because we truly want to add something special or extra to our district and not surviving and not get it back to the supplemental nature, whether it's extracurricular or. Yeah. Um, And 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 that kind of ties in with like my dream for Idaho is um, career tech education and really figuring out how do we push that to the next level. A lot of our districts have really good parts of career tech, but how do we make a really rounded whole career tech center or something of that nature that we can make available to all of our students in the state um, so we can help get these kids um, that don't want to go to college, that aren't college bound, you know, in high school, headed down a track to put them in a high paying job that's going to offer them good insurance and benefits and a retirement. And they're going to be able to provide for their family. Um, and, and, I, and we're, we're doing, I think, okay at it. And some districts are doing really good. But how do we as a state make that great for all of our kids? You know, Jason just said it well. You know, you articulated that well, Jason. I think that really certainly speaks, you know, for our district and and a lot of our districts as well. You know, our focus is 
to get back to student achievement. You know, um, we don't want the distractions. We want to take care of these kids. Um, so we want, you know, we need to look at the data. When we look at the learning gaps that we have, we want to close those. We had them before. We're going to continue to try and close those. Um, but a lot of the, the funding is definitely an issue. And funding that we have been blessed with right now, you know, through COVID funding, that's going to go away. Right. You know, so one of the challenges is, you know, one of the big things we need to help these kids and to help close the gap is people. Mm-hmm. So it's that personnel piece. It's having, you know, enough teachers to have a first grade classroom of 15 or 17 kids instead of 30 kids. Um, you know, it's having enough para pros to support our teachers. Um, you know, it's having all of the, the technology support that you need. Um, and granted, you know, we can do a little bit more right now with some of the funding, but in a couple of years, the reality is, and then it goes back to that supplemental every piece, because we won't be able to sustain that, you know, with with current funding. Um, I think, was it our keynote speaker yesterday, uh, one of the comments he made, and I just think... We're, I really appreciate our teachers and our and our staff that are there because they they're the ones who have made it work. Um, so when he when he when he said that we want to clear the paths so teachers can get the job done. Um, as a board member, you, you know, that's what we want to do, you know, um, is clear those paths so that they can get the job done in the classroom because we're going to have their backs and support them 110%. Um, but, yeah, funding is an issue. Sustainability is an issue. Um, so the challenges that were pre-COVID are are still with us. Maybe magnified. Uh, but maybe magnified. <laughs> So just one more question, because I'm kind of fascinated by the politics of school board elections and what we've seen. I mean, what we saw this month in some of the larger districts, West Ada, Nampa, Coeur d'Alene, we saw really heated races and really maybe more politicized races and maybe spendier races. But the reality in a lot of school districts is it's hard to find people to to do this, to to step in. You know, you still have a lot of uncontested races or districts that are looking for trustees. What keeps the three of you? doing this it's not the money i know that but what's what keeps you engaged in this kevin i'm a retired educator so it's in my blood um so really it's the kids it's all about the kids and um you know right now if you were to do a statistical analysis or whatever i'm i think i read someplace that kids are you know our school age kids are roughly 25 percent of our population but they're 100 percent of our future so what we do here and now, you know, what we've done in the past, what we're preparing now, and as we look forward, it's all about our kids and that 100% of the future. Uh, I mean, for me personally, I, I was raised um, in a household that was just, it's, it's in my DNA to give back. Um, and I, I believe my parents raised me with a servant's heart. Uh, I, I was part of a, just a, a parent group that reported to the superintendent eight, nine years, 10, nine, no, 10, 11 years ago now. Um, and then as he came open on the board and I was like, oh, I could, I could bring some value here and, uh, found a passion that I never knew I had until nine years ago. Um, and it's led me into becoming, you know, through the leadership channels of ISBA, um, and becoming involved in, so I think just 
the way my parents raised me and the values that they instilled in me and giving back and being a part of your community and trying to do what's right and, and doing what's good and then realizing that I can have a voice and my voice will be heard um, and I can affect some change that's positive for our kids just keeps driving me to do what I'm doing. Um, drove me into the leadership part of ISBA and, and hopefully more in the future. So. And for me, Kevin, I think um, when I became a mom, it was like, wow, I've got two kids and they're mine and I can mold them the way I need to. And but I need to mold them to be successful. And so I was at the schools all the time thinking if my kids know that I'm at the school, they're going to do better. And sometimes when parents are at the school, the teachers will know, Okay, that mom's always here. And we, you know, they just kind of hover over them a little bit better, but, or a little bit more, or they just realize that you're going to be there and, mm-hmm. and there's accountability and maybe just a little bit more. And so I followed them, bamboo stirs. And then when they graduated, I thought, okay, so now what do I do? And one of the biggest, for me, one of my biggest drives was that uh, I was approached when there was a, an empty board by an educator and they said we need color on the board we need some diversity 65% of our kids are Hispanic and there's nobody that represents them mm-hmm. and I said me <laughs> you know but then it's like well why not me and I thought but you know I, I do know that I have some homework to do I've got to learn Robert's Rules of Law, because I was not an FFA, you know, so I thought I've got to do this job to the best of my ability and learn how to uh, be, uh, bring some value to my position and also be able to think, okay, how, how can I best serve my community and give them a voice? And, but along the way, I also learned that all of the kids in the school district are my kids not mm-hmm. just certain ones. And and I thought, yes, that's right. So the decisions that I that we make, the decisions that we make as a board, as a five member trustee school board, reflects it has to it has to be able to benefit everybody. And that to me is, you know, I always wanted everything to be fair and just to as best as I could. And that's what drove me and that's what makes me go to all my meetings, whether they're four hours long or five hours long, if it's three meetings in one week, you know, this, this time during COVID it's, we've, we've had to meet and, and it's created a good bond between the district office and because we've wanted to keep a positive um, culture in our, in our board, in our school district, in our school, mm-hmm. you know, that we're a team, we're unified. Kind of shared sense of purpose. Yes. Yeah. And so that, that, you know, it's, it's uh, it's been the best of times, but it's been the worst of times. So yeah, Kevin, this might be might be kind of unique, but you know another thing that plays in it, at least for me, if you're at personal stories, these parents were my students. I was on mm-hmm. the third generation when yeah. when you know I left my principal position, so I saw them as a parent role in the school. Um, you know, so now I you know it's kind of extending that role. Um, <laughs> It's very similar to what you're saying. You really see that these parents are in it for their kids. Um, 
and you know we're just going to be there you know you, know, you mm-hmm. just kind of see that that helps that camaraderie you know because we've just you know been in it, in it together for so many years and um yeah it just makes it makes a big difference in terms of how important and you know jason has alluded to the local control piece um you know it's those parents that feed that i mean that's that's who i look to you know i think every trustee i've talked to across the state idaho and even our charter board you know directors trustees however their role is that are also part of organization Every one of them, I mean, we have to remember they're volunteering their time and they're doing it because they, with the tools that they have, are trying to do what's best for the students in their school. Yeah. And that's what drives yeah. all of us at the yeah. end of the day. We exactly. all have a different story as to why we got on or why we're still doing it. But every one of us has gotten involved and stayed involved because we want those kids in our community yeah. to do the best they possibly can. Yeah. Thank you all for taking some time to talk about what it's like to be on a school board right now, what keeps you on a school board. Karen, Jason, Marisela, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Again, my guest this week were school trustees Jason Knopf from the Melbourne School District, Marisela Cena from the Caldwell School District, and Karen Hiram from the Duke County School District. It's been a busy week here at Idaho Education News because we had trustees from all over Idaho here in Boise, but we also had legislators from all over Idaho back in the Capitol for the reconvening of the 2021 session. Not a lot happened in the way of legislation actually passing both the House and the Senate, but what we really saw, as I wrote on Thursday, was both the wrap-up of this record-setting 2021 session, but the unofficial beginning of the 2022 session, which starts in earnest on January 10th, which is barely seven weeks away. So something to look forward to. I want to give a shout out to Sammy Edge. As I record this podcast, it's Friday, November 19th. It's uh, Sammy's final day here at Idaho Education News. Sammy has done some fabulous work for us these past two and a half years, and what she's really done so well is shine a light on student welfare issues, whether it's uh, student homelessness or students of color. She's really focused on equity, and she's really told student stories in a very passionate but also very precise and very careful manner. It's really been a thrill working with her, and it's really been a thrill reading these stories, and I think I speak for everybody at Idaho News when I wish Sammy nothing but the best. I think I speak for many of you listeners when I say that we're really going to, to miss her coverage and her approach to education journalism. That'll wrap it up for the podcast this week. You can continue to follow us even Thanksgiving week at IdahoAidNews.org. We'll have any breaking news on our website. Follow us on Twitter at Idaho8News. Uh, we'll tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on any breaking news. Uh, follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back in two weeks for another edition of the podcast. No podcast next week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. We'll be spending some time with friends and family and hope you'll be able to do the same as well. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a wonderful holiday. Thank you.